With that said, let's jump right into week one of Closer. We're going to go in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you want to turn there, you can put your finger there and hold it or pull it up on your iPad or your iPhone. You're welcome to do that as well. So, tools or rules? Tools or rules? A lot of times when you ask people, how would I get closer to God? If I wanted to get closer to God, how would I get closer to God? Here, here's what happens. They provide for us a list of stuff to do. Now, now, the list is good. It's a good list. There's nothing wrong with the list. Let's just kind of rehearse some of the things that you might hear if you were to ask somebody the question, how do I get closer to God? They, they would say potentially, uh, you would pray. You would pray. And, and that's exactly something you could do if you want to get closer to God. You can pray. Now, here's what prayer is. It's simply a conversation with God. And it's built on the idea that since God is everywhere, since God, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's already in you, and everywhere you go, he goes, that means at any point in your life, good circumstances, bad circumstances, you can stop and talk to him. You can tell him how you're feeling. You can ask him for stuff. You can encourage him to do things for you. You can find encouragement as he ministers to you. There's a lot you can do. Prayer is a great tool. If you were to ask somebody, how can I go closer to God? They might say prayer. They might say, hey, read the Bible. That's a good answer. That's a good answer. Read the Bible because in the Bible, you can discover God's heart on a variety of subjects. You can discover his heart for you. There's truth about situations in life. There are principles that are broadly applicable across the spectrum of life. So you could read the Bible. You might say, if somebody were to ask you the question, how do I get closer to God? Read the Bible, pray. You might say, hey, go to church. And that would be good. In fact, on that one, you all get check pluses today. You're here. I don't know where the folks that are supposed to be here are, are today right now, but look around. They're not here. Call them. Tell them they're failing. No, I'm kidding, right? Right. In fact, that, that idea that if you don't go to church, you're failing kind of gets us up against the point I want to make with you today. Going to church and reading your Bible, praying, or getting in a small group and having conversations with friends, which is a big value in the Bible, talking about important stuff, all those things populate a list of things we might do to grow closer to God, which is awesome. But here's the challenge. If we're not careful, that list of suggestions becomes for us a list of rules, things that we have to do things that we can put a check mark beside when they're done and we kind of get rid of them off of our list. Or we know they should be on our list and we don't check them and then we feel guilty about not doing them. And those things that God has given us as gifts to connect with him were never meant to be a list of rules that you and I engage out of drudgery or rugged self-denial. I'm going to make myself do these things. Not at all. Much less about rules and much more about tools. Much more about tools that we can use, tools that we can employ in our lives to accomplish something for us. To accomplish our vibrant and healthy connection to God. And it's not just prayer, church, and small groups, and Bible. There's a whole host of things, some of which you find deeply enjoyable, some of which I would find enjoyable. The whole list isn't equally enjoyable to me as I go through the, the various experiences or environments I might engage, but some things I really enjoy and some things you would really enjoy. One of the whole points of this entire message series as we launch into the summer, and we don't want to turn off spiritually, we want to tune in, one of the primary points of us talking about this is so that we can engage these gifts of God and actually grow this summer. 
If you're in the room today and you're spiritually seeking, you're not sure, my hope is, is that today as you would process with us what I'm trying to get us to think about, you would process and it would tip you over on the side of understanding God's heart for you and understanding that he's given you tools in your arsenal to help connect with him, tools that will benefit you dramatically. What I would never want you to do is walk out of here and say, the pastor gave me more stuff to do. And you walk out feeling heavier, more burdened, more obligations, or that somehow he applied, applied a guilt trip on you. That is not at all the spirit of what we're talking about in Closer. But I also don't want you to miss the idea. You and I have an opportunity over the next 12 weeks or so to actually take a step in. While we're physically retreating, maybe emotionally disconnecting a bit, hopefully you get to do some of that, you can also take a step in. And that's why uh, as you exit day, you'll have an opportunity. This is sound like a plug for something that's going to benefit us, but it's not. Um, it'll benefit you. You have an opportunity to buy this book, Spirituality for the Rest of Us. I ordered, I think, 25. About half of them are gone, so not a whole lot. We don't make any money, but for 15 bucks, a lot of us in the church, the staff are reading this book this summer. It's called spirituality for the rest of us. And if, if engaging things like prayer and church and all that has been a drudgery for you, this book can breathe fresh wind uh, into your life. I think you would really enjoy it. We don't make much money. Maybe a buck on that. I don't even know if we make a buck on it. But what we want to do is put tools in your hand. That and then the small groups catalog that's on your seat, you can join into a small group by simply writing on your connect card in the comments section, I want to join small group and then put the number there one step and you're in. Now the reason we do all those things again is not to pile guilt on you or to give you an obligation or one more book to sit on a nightstand that you haven't read. It's to provide for you tools because here's the thing. I want you to grow spiritually. I want you to grow roots that are deeper. I want your faith to become so vibrant and alive that as life's circumstances change, you're steady. You're steady. You're able to weather those things with a confidence that comes your way because your faith and trust is in God. And how, do, how do you know if your faith is mature? There, there are a lot of ways we can talk about this, but let me give you a couple of ideas as we kind of launch in to tools versus rules, all right? Here's an idea. Let me ask those of you that have been following Jesus for a while. How is your joy factor these days? How is your joy factor these days? Now, I'm not talking about whether or not emotionally you're feeling giddy and happy today. I'm talking about something a little bit deeper. How is your enjoyment of your journey spiritually lately going for you? Joy is one of those things that the biblical writers talks about. It's a fruit of what happens in our life when we're in right connection with God. A lot of the dead theologians that I like to read, they say that one of the primary indicators that you're thriving spiritually is not that the circumstances in your life are all aligned. And because they're aligned, you're enjoying life. That, that's not the fruit. The fruit is whether or not the circumstances are aligned. They may be, they may not be. But you're enjoying the journey of walking with God through the good seasons and through the bad seasons. How is your joy factor? If you were to do kind of the finger test, what your finger, put it in the air spiritually. How are the winds spiritually blowing in your life these days? See, no matter where you're coming from, whether you're seeking, you've been with Jesus for 50 years, a few years, 
this summer, we have an opportunity to actually lean in a bit. While the culture around us is doing slightly different activities, maybe while your kids are at home, you and I can take the opportunity to adjust appropriately to life and lean in with God. Now let me give you an indicator of one of the greatest proofs of God's work in in your life. So here it is on the screen. I think that one of the greatest signs of God's work on our life is not a pattern of rugged self-denial or dig deep obedience. It's this. It's wanting what God wants and then going out and doing it. It's having your heart adjusted over time so that you want what God wants for you. And it begs the question, ultimately, what does God want for you? Does he want you to read your Bible, pray, go to church, serve, get in a small group, give to the poor? Is that what, he, is that what he's really after? A list of things you check. My suggestion would be, if that's how you define your spiritual life, if that's the totality of your spiritual life, there's some good things for me to do. And by the way, that's a fine list. Then you're tipping the scale a bit towards the rules side of things. And over time, just a thought, something to think about, over time, rules have a tendency to rob people of joy. Think about this. You're old enough to do this. Think about a time when you were a child and there was some authority figure in your life and they were disciplining you. And I'm not talking about the time you didn't deserve it. And I'm sure you're like most people, like my kids, they never deserve it. I got it. But I want you to think about a time when you actually deserved to be disciplined. Like you knew it was the right thing. Or maybe you didn't know then, but you look back and you know now. You knew you deserved to be disciplined. Did you enjoy that? What, was it fun? How was your joy factor in the middle of that disciplining? No, in, in my home, it doesn't matter how right I am. It's usually not a fun experience. It's usually not the most enjoyable thing in the world. And the challenge with the list is that even if it's the right list, even if it's correct, it tends to rob us of joy. That's why I want to challenge you to see these things not as the things that we must do. They're not rules. They're really tools. Tools that we get to employ to actually get what you want. Here's what I know about you. You're not sitting in church because you want me to give you more rules. You're not sitting here because you want me to give you some guilt. Unless you're some type of masochistic person spiritually, you don't want more guilt. There are churches all over the city that do a much better job of guilt than we do here. You're in the wrong place if you want guilt. No, what you're here for is you want to at some level, I know you do, At some level, you want to connect with God. Good. And he wants to connect with you. You're in the right place. So how do you do it? Following the rules? Checking them off? Making sure you do them? And when you don't, you beat yourself up a bit? Or you just avoid it? And avoid the conversation altogether? And it kind of just falls into the background? And you won't ever bring it to the forefront because it produces too much angst and emotion in your life? Or... Do you see these very gifts of God as as a blessing, as a vehicle, as a tool to use to help you get the very thing you want? You want to be closer to God. I want that for you, and God wants that for you. We're all in agreement on that. Everybody in this room, we're all in agreement. 
And one of the fundamental shifts that we have to think through as we think about the season we're in front of, or you think about where you have been spiritually, and where you might would like to go, where you feel like God is calling you to go, is whether or not these things are an end in themselves, prayer, scripture, church, small group, serving, giving to the poor, or if, they are, if there's something else that God's after, and I think what he's after if you'll let me say it this way, I think he's after your heart. And one of the ways you know that's happening is as you begin to want what he wants. Your joy factor goes up no matter what the circumstances in your life really are. Now, here's a little statement I want us to think about for just a moment. I want us to think about the fact that where we are in Christ is far more important than where we are in life. Where we are in Christ is far more important than where we are in life. I don't know about you, but I am very aware of where I am in life. I'm very aware of where I am financially, vocationally, educationally, relationally, socially, emotionally, and a bunch of other leads. I am very, very aware. It's easy for me to think about me and what's going on. That's natural. That's normal. But I have a tendency to overvalue what's going on in my life. And I have to remind myself that where I am in Christ is far more important than where I am in life. That song that our band sang just a few moments ago about Buddhist past. Here's what the culture's doing. In that song, it's all about a guy who discovers the love of his life and everything else is second. Um, his instruments, his relationships, the fun... Everything else is second because when he thinks of her, ooh, you know, you can't get that out of your head. Ooh, I can't even do it. Will does it so well. I'm so jealous. Um, but, but it makes him just go, look, I make a value-based decision that everything else is second to you. Now, that's singing about everyday earthly love. But that's exactly what God's calling us to this summer, to make some values-based decisions that some things require and demand and elicit an ooh from us. Wow. Wow. And they're more important than the other stuff. But me, I'm just talking about me. I'm sure it doesn't apply to you. I get consumed with where I am. I tend to think about me a lot. I'm, I'm working on it. I wrote a book, Humility and How I Achieved It. Have you ever read that one? Have you ever read that one? You know, that's enough talking about me. Let's talk about you for a minute. What do you think about me? That's, that's, you ever notice how we can be very preoccupied with us, right? I can be preoccupied with me. And yet Jesus calls us to remember that the circumstances in our life, listen, they are important. They matter. At this season of graduations of high school and college and people taking breaks, some people will think about where they are in life as things slow down a bit. All that's important, but it's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, where are you with Jesus? Again, if you were to wet your finger spiritually and put it in the air, how are the winds blowing these days in your life? And some of you are here today probably because they haven't been going so well and you're here to kind of get it right. Good for you. You're in the right place. But can we be honest for just a moment? Some of you, I, I'm not trying to judge you, but some of you have been around it so much and the truth is it's just gotten stale. It's just gotten stale. 
In fact, you've almost, if we could say it this way, almost been inoculated by an active move of God because you've been around it a lot. And being around it makes you feel like potentially you're okay, but you probably haven't thought about it in a while. How close are you? How close are you? That's the kind of stuff that pastors think about. That's the kind of stuff that, honestly, if you make some time, you'll think about it for you. You will. That's why I want you to buy this book or some other book. That's why I'm going to encourage you to do some of the things that are on the list. But when we do them, I don't want you to see them as a begrudging list of obligations. I want you to see them as tools you enjoy engaging. How how many of you folks in in the room, it won't be everybody, it'll be some men and some women, how many of you guys really like working with your hands, you like building stuff, and you you enjoy tools and that kind of stuff? Anybody? Yeah. See, See, I love that stuff, especially when I have time. Yeah, I, I can't walk into a Home Depot or a Lowe's without lusting. Because here's the thing. I have drills, <laughs> but they got better ones. And I've got some nice saws. I've got some good tools. But every time I go into one of those tools, they got better ones. Newer gadgets. They've added lasers to some tools and LED lights and, and, and just, just some really cool stuff. And, and Father's Day's next week. And if I haven't been clear, <laughs> I like some stuff. I would. I like that kind of stuff. But the thing that's really cool, if you've worked with your hands at all and you're a tool person, here's the thing you know. The right tool, doesn't it make all the difference in the world? All the difference in the world. So my family and I are doing a project together, getting ready for vacation. We have a vehicle, uh, an RV we're having to, to rehab. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I'm feeling a little pressure. But the other day I needed to cut some panels. And so I had my, my circular saw. It's just a small saw. It's a very nice circular saw. And I'm trying to cut a straight line. Now, I'm going to be honest, I'm pretty good. So I cut a line, took it in there, and as hard as I tried, as slow as I went, it wasn't perfectly straight. It wasn't acceptably straight. It's the kind of thing you'd walk in and you would see it every night. Like, whoever cut that just mean. Now, you know what the difference was? It wasn't my desire. Catch this. It wasn't my desire. It wasn't the time I spent. I didn't have the right tool. I needed a table saw. Now, for those of you that don't know the difference, there's a difference. A table saw, you can set a distance between the saw blade uh, with, with a rip fence, and you can cut a very straight line. Bought the table saw, spent a couple hundred bucks. It increased my speed, my productivity, my enjoyment of the thing. Can I be honest with you? Some of you are just a few right tools away. Not rules. Right tools away from having a greater vibrancy, enjoyment, and joy in your life with God. These are things pastors think about. You will too. The Apostle Paul thought about them. In fact, there's a church in a city called Colossae. And in fact, I think I have a little video to show you where this is. Did a little flyby this morning. I just love technology. Look at this right here. Boom. Corinth there. We talk about that. See that? Colossae. Now I'm just going to give it up some technology right there. That's awesome. Nobody else is impressed? I'm impressed. All right, there's Colossae. Um, now, Colossae, we don't talk a lot about because it gets eclipsed by Corinth, which is just a little bit across the water, and Ephesus. In fact, go to the modern map. You can see where these cities are today. There's kind of Turkey, Colossae. And in Paul's time when he wrote, this is a major city. There's a, a significant corridor, an east-west corridor that runs from Rome to Asia. In fact, we have a modern example of what that road used to look like right here. 
It's a real legitimate city. So but back in the day, it was a happening place. Now it's got some ruins. And in fact, we're kind of looking right into Colossae from Ephesus here. And over time, Colossae began to dwindle. But in Paul's day, it's a major city. I showed you these pictures to show you this is a real place. And in that congregation of people who lived in Colossae, they were Christians, they were having conversations. They were talking about life and stuff and theology and just, they were just you know, talking a lot. And there was a guy by the name of, of Epaphras who's a friend of Paul and he's from this area and he's going back and forth. Paul's in prison. Paul can't visit. He's going back and forth and he's giving reports. Hey, this group of Christians over here, let me tell you what's going on. Here's the kinds of things they're talking about. And Paul is thrilled largely with what he hears. A few concern points, but he's largely thrilled and his heart for them swells. He just wants them to grow. Like we got a good start, now let's grow. It's exactly what you want if you're a parent for your kids. You got, I'm sure you got pretty good kids. They're probably not as good as you want us to believe they are, but I bet they're pretty good, all right? You know how that goes, right? Parents tend to out talk. And I used to teach. I know how it goes, friends. Parents tend to, but you probably have pretty good kids, but I bet if you're honest, your heart for them is, hey, I want them to grow up a bit. I want them to mature a bit. I want them to take some responsibility. Ultimately, I want them out on their own, right? Isn't that the way that goes? No, I'm the only one. I have four kids. I pray to God they leave the house one day. And when they leave, they're healthy, they're happy, they're whole. That's what I really want. Then I want them to come back for little brief moments of time called vacation, all right? That's what I want. And when they do, we're going to laugh, we're going to have fun, all that. But ultimately, I'm looking forward to life with my wife. I, I want them to grow. You do too. This is what Paul wants for that church. In fact, there's a lot of the dynamic in family that illustrates very near perfectly the kinds of dynamics going on in God's family. Our earthly families and God's family are analogous. And so Paul kind of feels fatherly towards this congregation, and he writes them a letter. We'll begin with, first, uh, with Colossians chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Here's what our Bible says. Paul, so he begins by telling who wrote it, which seems very smart to me. Uh, we end our letters with who wrote them. I tend to, if I get a letter and I can't tell from the envelope who it's from, I tend to open it up and I jump right down to see who it's from versus reading all the content and going, who's talking to me, right? In the Bible, they tend to start with who wrote the thing. It seems logical to me, all right? So Paul, and then he gives his title or his credentials. He says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. In other words, I wasn't choosing this for myself. God chose me. And then he's with Timothy. There's a couple books in the Bible written to this guy. And our who, who is our brother. And then he says, I'm writing to God's holy people in Colossae. That's the city. Faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And then he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. The way he expresses his heart for them. Here's what I want for you guys. Grace and peace. I want you to do well. I want you to prosper. I want you to enjoy life with God. I want God's agenda to come to the surface and I want everything else to be second. And when that happens, you're going to be thriving. You're going to be thriving. So this is how he opens his letter to that church. And even though it's thousands of miles ago, and or thousands of miles from here and thousands of years ago, the words are still true today. And I don't know that Paul knew it, but God certainly meant for this letter to be preserved for us. And while it wasn't originally for us, the truth in this we can easily glean from. So right after verse 2, you might expect there's verse 3, so let's pick up there. Here's what the Bible says. We, that is the group that's with him, we thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, when we pray for you. 
My heart is just overfilled with gratitude for you. I thank God for you. Paul loves these people. You know, I understand this emotion. Over the last few weeks, we've been getting ready for the summer around here, and so we gave several opportunities for people to sign up to serve for six of our 26 summer services. So 13 weeks, two services a day. We, we gave people a chance to sign up. 140 or so people said they would do that. That's incredible. Thank you for that. We've given people a, an opportunity to contribute to India and the work in Haiti, and people stepped up and gave. I mean, financially, we're going into the summer strong because people are faithful. It just does my heart good as a pastor to see those kind of, really what are elementary things, get dealt with so that we can create margin to deal with the real issues, which are matters of the heart. So Paul hears about the church at Colossae, and he goes, oh, I feel good about you. I feel good about where you are. We have started strong. So I feel good about you when I pray for you. And then he says, here's why, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. You're loving God, you're loving people. And this is still my prayer as I think about two churches that have come together, that we would press into what God has for us, but we would also open up our hearts to build room for people. We wouldn't go to lunch with the same groups of people all the time and we wouldn't always talk to the same friends, the few friends we have, but we'd open up a little bit and we'd really enlarge this family that we call Four Corners Church here in North Cincinnati. Paul says, when I look at the Colossian church, I see that happening. I see people pressing into God. I see them pressing into relationships with each other. In verse 5, then he says, the faith and love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. I'm excited about this stuff because you have faith, hope, and love. We're going to talk about those words. Then he says, in the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Hey, not just there with you, but you're a part of something bigger. That's why I took a few minutes to explain what's happening here and here and literally around the world and down south in Mexico. You four corners are a part of something bigger. And that's awesome. But don't let this summer pass without getting what God has for you as well. I want our church to thrive collectively, but I want you to thrive individually. I want you to get what God has for you. And if the winds of God's Spirit have grown stale in your life, I want to fan that. I, I want to I blow on that. I want to do what I can to take a spark and cause it to be an all-consuming flame where your total life is consumed with the priority of God first and everything else second. That's Paul's heart for this church couple thousand years ago. And you may not know this. I don't know if you think about God's heart for you, but God's heart for you personally is the exact same thing, that you would come alive fully to all that he has for you. And nothing would hold you back. And that you would take full advantage of the tools he's given you to do that. So Paul says, I'm just so thrilled that you're a part of this thing and the gospel's going around the world. Then he says, our last sentence, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. I love that line. Truly understood God's grace. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish I truly understood God's grace. The depth of it. The width of it. 
My prayer for you is that this summer you would grow to understand more fully God's grace and the full impact of that on your life. Every detail, where we get consumed with us, we would be pulled gravitationally towards understanding more of God's grace and its implications in our lives. And we would fully hold on to the truth that where we are in Christ is more important than where we are in life. Because we're going to get sucked in. I'm going to get sucked in to dealing with the details of life. And I must. It's okay. It's good. It's right. It's just not the most important thing. It's urgent. It's timely. It's pressing. It's emotional. It's attractional. But it's just not the most important thing. The most important thing is where you are with Christ. So... Where are you? How's that going? I mean, could you use a little revitalization? Again, these dead theologians that I like to read, I like to read them because they can't mess up anymore. So, they, you know, live a pretty good life, they're dead, pretty secure that their legacy's gone. I get tired of reading people that are alive and you're like all into them, and next thing you know, they did something really stupid, all right? So dead theologians are always a safer bet than live theologians. Just observation there. Um, I like to read these, and they, they talk about the need sometimes for revival. That we get revived. We've been given life with Christ, but we need some triage. We need some revival in our life. So let's walk through a few of these words to just make sure, because some of the words that get thrown around in a passage like this sound very biblical, but they can miss their punch because they're so familiar to us. Let, let's take a moment and just recapture some of the beauty of some of the words that Paul used. Three big words he talked about here that you've heard a thousand times, both in church and out of church. The first one is faith. He says right there at about verse uh, 3, 4, and 5, he says, because we've heard of your faith in Christ. What does he mean? Here's what faith is. Faith is on a simple level, kind of, you know, level one. Faith is believing. That's believing. that's, That's an appropriate definition for faith. I believe it. Right? Maybe the evidence isn't there, maybe it is there, but I look at the thing, I filter it through the lens of my worldview, and I believe it. And so at the end of our services, I give people a chance to put their belief in Jesus, to admit to themselves and to God that what God has done in Jesus is true. But that's not all that the word faith means. Faith goes beyond a simple nodding of the head, and this is what happens with Christians over time. We nod at the truth. We do. And we're, we're in agreement. Yep, yep, that's good. Preach it, Ben. Tell them. Tell them. Sometimes I'll get a parent, and they'll come to church and say, Oh, I'm so glad my kid was here today because they needed to hear it. And I'm so glad when that happens. I mean, I'm not trying to make mockery of that. But it's real easy for Christians to nod. Yes. Oh, we agree. But faith is more than that. Faith isn't just believing. It's actually trusting. It's actually trusting. It's more than just I agree. No, I'm willing to stake my claim on this. Believing, but trusting. And and then, honestly, we can go one step deeper. It's actually obeying, or if you like the word better, following. Because remember, we talked about indiscipline with obedience issues. None of us enjoys that. So around here, we talk about following Jesus. I believe it. I trust it. But now I'm going to put some actions there. I'm going to put some actions there. 
I'm actually going to walk that out in my life. Now, now, now here's the truth. For a lot of us, and again, I, I'm not trying to judge anybody. I just want to like blow some wind across the, the embers of your heart right now, and hopefully this stirs a little bit. The truth is, for a lot of us, we've nodded at a lot of stuff that we agree with, but if we were honest, it's not really a part of our active life. And so when believers in Jesus do that, we nod at it, and we agree it's good for everybody, but we don't evaluate whether or not it's true for us. We listen to sermons really through the lens of what's good for somebody else, or we, we think about spiritual activities in, in light of what somebody else needs. What happens is, is we put ourselves in an environment to not grow. Believers in Jesus who put their faith and trust in him, here's their idea. God, I trust your heart for me enough. I trust you deeply so that when you speak to me, I believe what you're trying to do is build me up, not tear me down. Now, parents, isn't this what you want from your kids? You want to be able to speak into their life where they are and have them have a deep-seated trust that you're for them, not against them. That you're with them, that you want good things for them. So that when you have to speak a corrective word, well, it may sting a little bit. They're not looking at you as if you're the enemy. Now, if they're in junior high, parents just get over it. They're going to. But by the time they're getting close to graduating high school, you want that maturity to have kicked in where when you speak, there's a welcoming because they have learned to trust your heart for them. And they've watched your life. They can also trust a certain amount of your wisdom because there's a consistency there. Or where you have failed, you've acknowledged it and you've changed. So they now trust your experience there. So the family of God and our earthly families are analogous. That's what God wants to have happen with his relationship with you. You can hear the word and not just nod. You can actually take it in. There's an alive faith. He talked about faith. He talked about love. Again, a word you hear a lot in church. I did a wedding yesterday, and I almost always make this point. Here it is on the screen. Love is a decision and an action, not an emotion. And I make the point, right now you really are in love. But I promise you, it won't be too many months from now. She'll walk through the door, and you won't have the same feeling. So what are you going to do? Are you out of love? Or is love something more than the emotion? Is it a commitment you make to treat each other in loving ways? That's mature love in a marriage. And I, if I can be honest with you, that's mature love in our faith, in our relationship with God. It isn't just emotional. There are times you come to church and it fills you up and the worship sucks you in and the word of God is right there for you and you're there. There are times you open God's word and it's just the word you need in the moment. There are times you pray and you know he's listening. You can feel it. But that's surface level. All the good stuff has another reality that goes beyond the emotion and begins to look like a decision to walk in the reality even when the emotions aren't there. To say we love God means that we do the things he's called us to do. And we do them with, and here's the, here's the difference. This is why we're going to go back to joy. We do them with glad and sincere hearts. We don't do them like a list of rules. Check, 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 done. Thank you, Jesus. Not that at all. No, we leverage the tools because we trust the guy who gave them to us. 
that when we do these things, God will accomplish His will in our life, which actually brings me to my third point, faith, love, and the last one we'll talk about is hope. Now, hope is confidence based on God's character and promises. I have have hopes. I have hopes that things will happen in my life. I have prayed for things. I wonder if there's anybody else in the room old enough to have prayed prayers of things you really, really, really wanted. You knew you needed them, and you prayed and asked God to do them, and he didn't do it. But now that you're a little older, you're like, oh, God, thank you, you didn't answer that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. I went to my high school reunion a few years back, and I walked around just going, thank you, Jesus. You didn't answer that prayer, or that prayer, or that prayer. Thank you, Jesus. Whew. I dodged the bullet on that stuff. Now, now here's the thing. Here's what hope does. Hope says, God, I'm going to tell you what I think I need. I'm going to tell you everything I want. But I trust your character and goodness. So my hope isn't in my answered prayer alone. It's in you, Jesus. It's in your character, God. You're the good God who gives me what I need, sometimes what I want. So when I don't get what I think I need, I'm going to still pursue you because my hope ultimately is in you, not in the prayer I want answered. No matter how fervently I feel it at the moment, no matter how right it seems. Now, I don't know where you are, follower of Jesus. And if faith, hope, or love have, have become stale concepts, But when Paul writes to the church at Colossians, he says, here's what excites me about you. Your faith is alive. Your love is alive. And you're hoping in the right stuff. You're growing in your understanding of grace. You started well, but you're growing well. That's exactly what I want for you. I want you to embrace the idea that where you are in Christ is far more important than where you are in life. And it begs some questions for us. Let me give you just three questions to kind of evaluate, kind of see where you are. Take, take, you know, a survey of where the wind's blowing or take the temperature. How do you know if you're really in Christ? Let me, let me, let me show you something on my board here real quick. Here's a little illustration I, I, I like to use. Let's imagine that this cross here kind of represents Jesus. This is a metaphor. It will break down eventually what I'm showing you, but I think it can also illustrate a point or two. So there, there's kind of a... Um, a picture of, you know, Jesus in the middle of the stage. And all around, we have some X's and O's. Give me just a moment to kind of populate the page here. And all around, we have some X's and O's. Now, for me, for this illustration, the O's are kind of representing faces of people that are looking at the cross. And the X's kind of represent people whose heads or backs are turned to the cross. Now, here's the truth. Some of them are very close to the cross. It's like this guy right here or this girl right here. Close and looking. This guy is actually, appears to be proximity-wise close, but he's looking away. Now, here's what, here's what happens to some Christians over time. They're so in the environment, they're in a routine of behavior, and they have all the appearance of looking like they're close. But the truth is, is to some degree their back is turned on the things of God. They've grown stale, maybe a little bitterness, a little people hurt, some disappointment, somebody in authority, maybe spiritual authority, let them down, a prayer that they really wanted to get answered in a certain way, didn't get answered in that way, 
or they worked through their list of, of things they thought they were supposed to do, but they didn't get the result they thought they would get. Or what used to feel vibrant and alive now feels more like a drudgery. They're still in the environment doing the thing, but their backs are turned a little bit. Other people, they like, don't look anything like what we would call a Christian. But, but they're looking towards the cross. They're looking to Jesus. This is, a, this is an illustration. Here's what it helps us with. It helps us to understand this basic idea. No matter where you're starting from, I know exactly what God wants from you. I know exactly what he wants from you. I know exactly what he wants for you. What he wants from you is he wants you to turn and look full into his wonderful face. He, he wants you to look full at his face. Not partial turning, not over-the-shoulder turning, a full-on look. And this is true for people in the room today that are spiritually seeking. You're not even sure if you believe all this stuff yet. What God wants for you to do is to turn and look fully at him and then start walking towards him. And what he wants for you, so what he wants from you is to look, and what he wants for, from you is to ultimately for your whole heart to be consumed with his priorities, for you to want what he wants, for you to grow up. That's just a way of saying for you to grow up in the faith. And the challenge is the longer you're around the Christian stuff, the easier it is to look close. And I'm sorry to have to tell you this, to look close and not be close. Because all the dots are connected and all the boxes are checked. But there's no vibrancy and aliveness. Nothing flutters the heart anymore. And you go through the motions. Well, this summer, we have an opportunity to re-engage the tools in new and fresh ways. Remember that list we made? Prayer, scripture, church, small group, ministering to the community, especially the poor. We have an opportunity to do that. Not as some list of obligations God requires from us, because that's not what he wants. He doesn't want you to simply do those things. He wants you to get the benefit that comes to your life when you engage them freely, willingly, joyfully, and yes, in a disciplined way. He wants you to understand that where you are in him is far more important than where you are in life. And he wants you to get some time and attention there. So as a church, we're going to work through this over the next few weeks. We'll stay in Colossians and give you a chance to buy this book when you exit today. The staff and I are going to be praying with you. We're on this journey with you. Do not waste this summer. It would be a tragedy to recharge physically and emotionally and leave the spiritual category undealt with. Put a little time and effort here. Engage God's heart for you. Rediscover with passionate flame, faith, love, and hope as a believer in Jesus. And to do that, I thought we could begin with a few small steps together as a congregation. So would you grab out your Connect card? And let's actually take, or at least commit to taking a couple steps uh, right here in the room together. Next step A for us every week, just a suggestion is that if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, you can get that completed right here, right now. 
And you can, next step A says, today I'm making Jesus my Savior and Lord. You can commit your life to him. You can agree with what the Bible says about you when it says that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. You don't just need a little help. You need a Savior. And Jesus is that Savior. That because of his death on the cross and his resurrection, you can have life with God. So if that's what you'd like to do today, I'd ask you to take that pen we provided and check next step A. And when the offering buckets come at the end of the service, you can put your card in there. We'll communicate with you. You're not joining our church. You're committing to give money. I just want to give you some tools to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. You can use your words. I invite you to borrow mine and say to God, God, would you wash away my sin? Would you bring me close to you? Not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus has done for me. Well, here's next step B. Today I'm choosing to be baptized. We have at least one person scheduled, but I have a hunch that there might be a person or two in the room that maybe you didn't come prepared, but you'd like to go public with your faith. Well, you can do that. When the band starts singing in a moment, just get up, walk underneath this screen. One of our staff members will meet you. We'll get you some clothes, a towel. They'll ask you some very, very basic, non-intrusive questions. So if you're in high school or an adult, um, that option is available to you. You can check this and literally, in just a moment, get up and walk up here and take care of that today. Here's next step C. It's a prayer that I'm praying, and by checking it, I'll send it to you via email, and you can pray with it. Pray it with me every morning this week. Here's what it says. God, help me to want what you want. Make my joy in you complete. God, help me to want what you want. Help me to put your stuff first, everything else second. Make my joy complete. Check that box and you can join me in praying that prayer and we'll communicate very briefly about it by email uh, this week. Here's next step D. Here's something we developed for you all summer long. The version app on your phone. You can go download it. But right now, you can just check a box. Here's what it says. I'll follow the YouVersion Bible reading plan this week. Send, it, send me the link. So every week after the message, we've compiled some uh, Bible verses that relate to what we're talking about, kind of keeps it fresh every day. We can use one of those tools that God has given us. And I know you're already online. That's awesome. But in the time you look at Facebook in the morning, you could actually engage God's Word. Just one less Facebook time, a little bit more God time. And you can do it right there on the same device, your phone. And we'll send you some verses that the staff and I are reading. And you can join along with us and say, God, as we read these verses, do your work, whatever it is you want to do. do renew your work in me. If you're spiritually seeking this morning, it's a great way to understand the heart and ethos of this place as we read God's word together. And here's next step E. Who would say, hey, I'll purchase and then, of course, read the book Spirituality for the Rest of Us. You can buy it from us. You can go online and buy it. You'll save a buck, I think. You can download it, maybe uh, on an electronic device, save a few dollars. Obviously, if you can't afford it, go to the table and tell them, I will buy your copy for you. We have 25 total for the day. About half of them are gone. If we need to buy more, we'll buy more. Get them here next week for you, all right? Let's pray about these steps together as we get ready to celebrate some baptism. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for giving us tools. Thank you, Lord, for wanting our hearts and not simply our begrudging obedience. Now, God, my prayer for myself and for my brothers and sisters in this room, for everybody here, is that we would turn and face you. We'd look full into your wonderful face. God, would you blow the winds of your spirit across our lives right now? God, would you begin to revive those of us that need some reviving? Would you fan into flame those embers that have grown dim? 
Lord, I lift up right now those that are, that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sin. Lead my life. I give it to you. And I pray, Lord, that this summer we as a church would grow closer to you and your work in us would be made complete. I pray it in the strong and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.